Good morning, church. It is, a, it is a joy to be here with you. And I feel a little bit like this is coming home to me. And that's not just because I'm at a Sovereign Grace Church that feels so much like the Sovereign Grace Church I know and love back in Louisville. That is part of it. Uh, the fact is, I lived in Downingtown when I was a boy. And I have uh, some of the life experience that comes from being a Philadelphia resident. I ate hoagies at the Norwood Deli. I saw Mike Schmidt play at the Vet. But my son Jude has never been to Philadelphia before. I'm really grateful. I am, I am at least as grateful that he's traveling with me as he is to be traveling. So he, um, that's awesome. The, uh, <laughs> he has never been to Philadelphia. So we arrived yesterday morning in time to do some touristy kind of things. And we had a lot of fun walking around downtown Philadelphia. We saw the Liberty Bell and did the Ben Franklin Museum, ate at Jim's on South Street. Philadelphia, that's, that's what we're saying now too, yeah. Philadelphia residents, they paid no attention to us as we snapped selfies in front of Independence Hall. Uh, that was fun, it's, it's fun, but why would they care about us, right? Because we're just in their city as tourists, just another couple of guys snapping selfies in front of Independence Hall. We have plenty of those already. So what a contrast then to come be with you last night at Cross Culture and this morning and to experience your attention, your care, your affection, how grateful to God I am for you, the experience to be here as, not, not as tourists, not as tourists in your church, but as guests and as friends and as brothers. And so it's a great joy that to be with you. We had, we had, we've had such a warm welcome from you already. We had coffee yesterday with Mark Prater. As I said, we got to come to Cross Culture last night, had a great time uh, doing Halloween games out in the lobby. It was fun, but more importantly, had a great time singing together and hearing God's word preached together. We have benefited so much from your church and enjoyed getting to know you. So grateful to have gotten to know Nick and Happy Kidwell at the Pastors College last year, and we are getting to know Phil and Shannon Vanderweide this year. So grateful, and I come with greetings. I come to you with greetings from Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville. So, on behalf of our pastoral team and on behalf of all the brothers and sisters there, please know that we, we admire you from a distance. We thank God for you from a distance. We pray for you often from a distance. So grateful that we're here not as tourists, but as brothers in Christ. So this morning we are going to look at Psalm 78. If you would please open your Bibles to Psalm 78. While you're turning there, I want to tell you that one of the, one of the surprises of parenting for me over the years has been discovering how much my children enjoy hearing stories that Nicole and I tell them of our childhoods. I don't think I lived a very remarkable life, and so I didn't think I had a lot of great stories to tell, but my kids just eat it up. They love hearing these stories, and I guess it shouldn't have surprised me given how much my sisters and I loved hearing the stories that our parents told us. We loved those stories. We loved hearing them over and over again. I particularly love my dad's stories from the Navy. My dad was a Navy man. My grandfather was a Navy man. Loved stories of ships and stuff. My sisters sometimes got bored with tales of engine rooms and celestial navigation. Not really their thing, I understand. But my mom's stories, nobody would ever get tired of. My mom is a fantastic storyteller. No one gets tired of hearing, none of us got tired anyway, of hearing 
about the time my Uncle Clifton tried to give her a golf lesson. And she knocked him out cold, the backswing on a nine iron, out cold. Or we love the story, the time when now they tell the story about getting married. They got married in 1974 in June in a heat wave in South Carolina in a church that had no air conditioning. And my grandfather, being the uh, industrious and creative man that he was, rounded up as many big fans as he could from around small, this small town in South Carolina. And at a key moment, as my mom walked in through the door, her veil gets sucked into one of these fans. <laughs> you just have to see my mom do the, the reenact the head motion. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Or the time that as a, as a my mom is a 16-year-old driving with her freshly minted driver's license, made her way down Main Street of this small South Carolina town in which she grew up. And a police officer parked up against the sidewalk at just the right moment, or maybe just the wrong moment, depending on how you look at it, opened his door. Mom caught it, laid the door flat against the front of the police car. And so police officer just calmly got out of the car, walked into the store that my grandfather managed, which was right there on that block, just said, Mr. Floyd, we need to talk about Nancy's driving. <laughs> I think my mom heard about it. So these stories, they shaped us. They passed on and created a family culture. They gave us an understanding of who Whitakers are, how we got here, what we value, what we hold dear, things that we laugh at, things that we cry about. And we're now we're doing the same thing for our children and it turns out we are tapping into a long tradition of generational storytelling. People have recognized for centuries, millennia even, people have recognized the power of story to shape the hearers. Go back maybe 300 years and there's an 18th century Scottish politician named Andrew Fletcher who is attributed with saying, let me write the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. He understood that even through song, if you tell the story, you shape the people. Go back further, maybe a thousand years. The Anglo-Saxon word for poet was shope. Shope, a word that in normal usage meant to, to create. And the modern English word shape comes from that Anglo-Saxon word because they recognized that the poets, the storytellers of their, their day, they shaped the people, their character, their perceptions, their affections. And so we would be wise to pay attention to the stories that we tell too. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 78. And this is a psalm that is based around and celebrates and calls us to generational storytelling. It is a psalm that tells stories to tape to, to shape generations, and it tells us to tell stories that will shape generations. When the fathers of our faith start telling their stories, what we get is the history of the saving works of God. And it turns out that storytelling is one of the ways that God intends for the central truths of the faith to get passed on from generation to generation. God gave us stories too. God gave us stories, stories unlike any other. These stories are the word of God. These stories fit together to form the story. 
the great story of redemption, the one big true story of which every other story is but a faint echo. And here's the big idea of this psalm. In a moment, we're going to read Psalm 78. Here's the big idea of this psalm. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. The stories that we tell to the next generation about God shape the next generation and their love for God. Now, Psalm 78 is 72 verses long. It is the second longest psalm in the entire Psalter. So we're not going to read the whole psalm this morning, although I highly recommend that you set aside some time later today or tomorrow or sometime this week to sit down and read all of Psalm 78. It really won't take you that long. It would be worth it as an investment of your time. But the first eight verses of this psalm provide an introduction. And then the remainder of the psalm is basically an extended illustration of the ideas that are introduced here in these first eight verses. So we're going to read verses one through eight now, and then we'll dip into other parts of the psalm as we go. I'm going to read Psalm 78, one through eight, and then we'll pray. A masculine of Asaph, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their generation, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your word. And we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and help us to set our hearts upon all that you would show to us. And we pray this in the name of your almighty son, Jesus Christ, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. We're going to look at these first eight verses of Psalm 78 in three parts. And we're going to begin with recognizing that Psalm 78 gives us a mandate. If you're the kind of person that takes notes, point number one, there's a mandate here. The mandate is to tell the coming generation. The mandate, tell the coming generation. This psalm opens with a call for attention. Psalm 78, verse 1, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And then he explains why in verse 2. Why? Because I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings from of old. He says that he will open his mouth. He's going to tell us something. He's going to explain something to us about how the world works and, and how we should live in the world. And he says that these are dark sayings. When we read that these are dark sayings, he doesn't mean that they're opaque or otherwise unknown. Excuse me, he does mean 
excuse me, I got that backwards. He does mean that they are opaque or otherwise unknown, not that they are morbid. We use that term, especially this time of year as we're coming up on Halloween. All the things are dark. That was a dark movie. Don't think Edgar Allan Poe here. All right. He's, he's saying that these are, are riddles, things that otherwise were locked up. They're parables, riddles, dark sayings. These are stories from the past that have meaning and significant, significance for the present and prepare hearers for the future. That's what dark sayings and parables and riddles are about. And he explains in verse 3 that they are things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told to us. And so he says in verse 4, we will not hide them, but we will tell them. We will tell them to the coming generation. So Asaph, the writer of this psalm, is inviting us to join him in some generational storytelling. We will tell the coming generation. In other words, we're not simply commanded here to tell the coming generation. We are invited along to join him so that together we might shape the coming generation. The stories in the Bible are, they're not just filler. They are not just random scraps of a historical record. This whole book is a carefully crafted story about who God is and what he is like and what he has done in revealing his saving plan for the world through Jesus Christ. Think about how these stories that make up this one big story have shaped your life. Think about how your confidence that God is sovereign over every disappointment and difficulty in life is shaped by reading the book of Ruth. Or think about how your awareness of God's desire to have his own people and to dwell with them is shaped by reading the book of Exodus. Think about how your sense of the, the importance of the church and God's plans to work in the world through the church is shaped by reading the book of Acts. These stories shape our love for God. And so the mandate of this psalm is to tell these stories to the coming generation in order to shape their love for the Savior and to grow their affection for God. As we start talking about the coming generation, as we talk about telling these stories to the next generation, I would expect that there would be some who would think, oh, okay, I see, this is a message about parenting. Maybe I'll go check out that new website that we just saw. This doesn't apply to me because I don't have children. I want to look at that members portion of the website. You can check that out. Well, actually, this psalm teaches us that telling the coming generation is the responsibility of families. Yes, that's true. But also of the entire church. All the people of God are commanded to do this, are invited to do this, are encouraged to do this, and are required to do this if we're going to be faithful to pass on the gospel to the coming generation this begins with the church. Look at what it says in verse 1. Give ear, O my people. Asaph doesn't begin by just addressing fathers and mothers. He doesn't start, give ear, O parents. Listen up, dads. He doesn't start there. He says, give ear, O my people. God, through Asaph, is addressing us all, whether we have children or not. Whether your children are infants or out of the home, whether you are single, a college student, all of us, all of us have been called together to tell these stories to the next generation. 
If you don't have children, this mandate is for you as well. You have a God-given responsibility to tell the coming generation. God is calling you to be involved in preaching the gospel to the, the coming generation. And this psalm starts out with Asaph speaking in the first person singular. He says, my teaching, the words of my mouth, I will open my mouth, I will utter dark sayings. But in verse three, he quickly switches to first person plural. Did you notice that? All of a sudden, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We, 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 we are in this together. We together are called to tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And if you don't have children, there are many ways you can do this. One of the best things that you can do is to faithfully live out the gospel in this church. Even if you are not around these children very often, even if you don't serve in children's ministry, even if you aren't involved in cross-culture, you still are involved in shaping the coming generation by your example of godliness. Kids come to church, they have eyes, and they see you. They watch, they learn. Kids have a nose for spotting hypocrisy. Kids recognize when people are not genuine. But your faithfulness as a Christian, your participation in the church models the gospel for the coming generation. I can't tell you how many times our family has sat around the dinner table talking about some virtue that we wanted to stir up in our children and we have been able then to point to church members, many of whom don't have children, as examples of that godliness. Kids, let's talk about servanthood. We want you to grow in servanthood. How about you, you grow? Let's, let's look at Arnie and Dawn Bear, members of our church. They don't have children. They're in their 50s and they lay down their lives every day to serve members of our church. They are wonderful. So many examples in this church, I know. So many of you are doing this. Your faithful walk with the Lord day in and day out. Your service, your greeting as these kids come through the door. You are preaching the gospel to the coming generation. You know what else you can do? You can pray. Pray for the parents in your small group. Pray for the parents that sit near you at church. How can you pray for them? Well, ask them. Ask, how can I pray for you? It looks tough, parenting. How can I pray for you? They'll tell you. Oh, parents will tell you. As a parent, I'm like, I got a list. I know what I need. <laughs> They'll tell you. And pray for them. Pray. Pray the short version. Pray that, pray. Short version is this. Pray that God would give them wisdom and strength and faithfulness. If you're not sure, pray those three things. <laughs> Every day, I need wisdom, I need strength, I need faithfulness as a parent. Wisdom to know what to say. Strength to keep saying it, the faithfulness to say it over a long period of time. This is also the responsibility of the family. So we do this together as a church, but families, we have a duty to tell the coming generation. In verses 3 and in verses 5, Asaph mentions fathers and their role in telling the coming generation. And fathers and mothers, while this is a role and a responsibility that we all share, this scripture makes it plain and it's parents who are ultimately responsible for preaching the gospel to the children. And this verse addresses fathers. And when fathers are addressed in a passage like this, fathers are often addressed as representative of both dads and moms. But we do well to recognize that God has called fathers to lead their families. 
Fathers, we are called to train and to teach the coming generation, to call them to repentance and to teach them the ways of the Lord. And this is a call for an entire way of living. It's about creating a family culture and a church culture, cultures in which we tell the story over and over again of God's saving work. So many ways that you're doing this already. Nicole's parents, my wife Nicole, she grew up, they read a lot of Christian biographies together around the dinner table. And so we picked up that tra tradition in our family. And in the last year, we read Corey Ten Booms through, uh, excuse me, uh, The Hiding Place. And we read Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. I had, to, I had to keep stopping in the midst of these books and explaining to my children why I was crying, why I couldn't finish a sentence. Because we're so moved by the example of godly men and women who have gone before us. Those are ways of telling the story. Families, dads, fathers and mothers, we can tell the story through hospitality. When you have people over to your house and you're sitting around the dinner table with your children and these guests and you ask your guests to tell the story of their conversion, your kids get to hear again about the wonders that he has done. That is wonderful. We've been so blessed having people in our home telling the stories of the folly of their sin and the glory of their salvation. I want my kids to hear those stories again and again. You do this every time you talk about your own salvation. You tell the story about how he has saved you and about how he has worked in you this week. So church, families, together, we have a mandate to tell the coming generation. Now fortunately for us, Asaph has not only told us to do that, but he's also told us what to tell the coming generation. So if you are a note taker, second point is the message. We have a mandate and a message. And the message, what to tell the coming generation. And in verses 4 and 5, Asaph keeps going. He, he explains what to tell the coming generation. Look at verses 4 and 5. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So two categories of what we are called to pass on. First, the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, and the wonders that he has done. And second, the testimony that is in Jacob and the law that is in Israel. In other words, teach them God's works and teach them God's word. What a simple agenda we have. A simple curriculum. Now, it's big. It's a big curriculum. There's a lot to it. But it's clear what we're supposed to teach them. First, we teach them God's works. What are these glorious deeds of the Lord that Asaph is referring to? What are the wonders that we're to proclaim to our children? That's actually what the rest of the psalm is about. So if we kept reading through Psalm 78, what we would discover is that the entire rest of the psalm, the second longest psalm in the Psalter, describes what happens when God's people forget the story that they are in or ignore that story that they're in what happens when they forget the great works of the Lord? The psalm uses the story of the Exodus to illustrate the story of God's initiative and goodness and love for his people. But Israel's rebellion and forgetfulness, then their repentance as God calls them back to himself, and then their forgiveness and the restoration of God's blessings. And Psalm 78, honestly, it's a tough slog. It's a hard read because... It's not like Israel got it. 
As you read through this psalm, it's actually a story of cycles of sin, downward trend, sin and rebellion. They hit rock bottom, God's judgment. God calls them to repentance. They turn back to him, and there's this upward swing. They are forgiven. They are restored in right relationship to God, and things go well for a time, and then they sink back again into rebellion and disbelief. And then God calls them back to repentance, and it goes back up again, and the cycle is repeated. And every one of us can find ourselves in that story. Every Christian parent can say to a child, I know what this is like. I've wandered from the Lord before. I've had to repent. And hasn't he been good to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all ungodliness? This is a wonderful story. The story of the Exodus is the story of salvation. It's a pattern of God working among his people that has been reenacted in every Christian in all the history of the world. So as we tell this story, as we go back and with our kids read Psalm 78 or reread Exodus and tell them, look at what happened. Look at how God delivered them from slavery to a promised land. And they wandered in the wilderness. Does that story sound familiar? We were enslaved to sin. We've been set free. We've been led out of that slavery. And we have the hope of a promised land in front of us, but we're not there yet. And we're still wandering, but we're not wandering alone. We're led God provides for us and he comforts us and he dwells with us as he did with Israel. Oh, tell that story. That'll preach. Talk about that to your children. We have a story to tell. We are telling this story over and over. I, I had, I, in preparing for this sermon, I did an interesting exercise. I went through this psalm with four different colored highlighters because I wanted to see this cycle. I wanted it to pop visually on the page. So four different colored highlighters, and I highlighted any verses that, that showed, first, Israel's rebellion, second, God's righteous anger about their sin, third, Israel's repentance, and then fourth, God's gracious forgiveness. And if this psalm teaches anything, it teaches that we're sinners, we're sinners that deserve God's discipline, that God does discipline those he loves, but that when we repent, he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he keeps his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let's teach them that. So we teach them about God's works and we teach them God's word. We teach them God's word. There are so many ways, I know you're doing this already, but parents and church, Let's teach our children to love God's word. We have this book. This is precious. This is a gift from God. And we have so many of them. We have so many translations. We have so many copies. I've got a big leather one. I've got it on my phone. I've got little skinny versions. I've got big fat study Bibles. I've got it in other, in other languages. It's all around us. And we forget what this is and what this represents People have died for this. People have longed for this. People today in other parts of the world have taken this book and torn it into smaller pieces and handed it out to church members because they only got one. They're going to have to share it. Come back next week and we'll trade. What riches we hold in our hands. Let's teach them to love this book and let's teach them the contents of this book. Let's teach them that whole story. 
A story I described a moment ago in Exodus, how that same story is told over and over again and is told from the very beginning to the very end of this book. Let's help them to love this book. You are teaching them. Parents, you are doing that. You are teaching them God's word. When you read it to them, you are teaching them to love this book when you train them in habits of reading it for themselves. There's no more valuable skill, perhaps, than a daily habit of Bible reading. I want my kids to have life skills. I want them to know how to change a tire, how to flip an omelet, everything in between. It's a wide spectrum, I know. I got big dreams for my kids. (laughs) Most of all, I want them to meet with God every day, to know God in prayer and in God's word. This year, all four of my kids are participating in our church's annual Bible reading challenge. All four of them are working their way. They're going to read the entire Bible this year. When they were younger, they started, they were too young to read. They got up in the morning and they listened to it. When they got older, I wrote little Bible studies for them. They read every one of Marty's books. We've done it. As I'm tucking them in at bed, into bed at night, we talk about Bible stories. So many ways that we do this. This book is full of the stories of salvation that shape God's people. So we have a mandate. We have a message. Thirdly, we have a motive. Why to tell the coming generation? We have a motive. Look at verses 6 through 8. And look for that little word, that. That little word, that, gives us a reason for doing things. And it comes up three times here. It comes up in verse 6, in verse 7, and in verse 8. That the next generation might know them. Verse 7, that they should set their hope in God. Verse 8, that they should not be like their fathers. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them. There is more at stake here than just our children. There are actually four generations in view here. Did you notice that? It begins with our fathers, that our fathers would teach them to their children, that's us, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, that's our children, that they might arise and tell them to their children. Generational faithfulness through generational storytelling. Parents, what you're doing now can and will have downstream effects for generations to come. It's good for us to think about this. If you have a few kids, and each of your kids has a few kids, and their kids each have a few kids, then in four or five generations, you have affected dozens, maybe hundreds of lives by your faithfulness now. So dads, when you come home from work and you feel too tired to ask about how the kid's school was or to talk about how God helped you at work today, think instead, think about this. It's not just your kids around that dinner table. You have a much bigger dinner table than you realize because around that table, you have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. You have spouses of those kids from other families you haven't even met yet. Mm. You are doing good work. Moms, when you sacrifice your strength each day to care for your kids, to make a delightful home, to make memories for them, imagine a family reunion with kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and you, the, the old, shriveled, gray-haired version of you there with children and great-grandchildren who are coming to you Whatever they call you, Nana, Mimi, Grandma, they're there. That pile of laundry, that faithfulness, sitting down with a child, that doing dishes cheerfully, making another meal, training your children day after day 
to walk in godliness and to love the Lord. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, for as long as the Lord tarries. What an effect you can have. What a vision this is. This is how the Lord works through stories. Verse 7, then, he also works that they should set their hope in God and not forget his words, but keep his commandments. There's a progression here that they would know, that they would remember what they know, that they would act on what they remember. When we tell these, these stories to our children, we are giving our kids the tools and the training to obey God. We are carving pathways in their thinking and their feeling. Pathways of understanding God and understanding themselves in relation to God and understanding themselves in relation to God in relation to the world. And he uses these pathways, these, these patterns and habits of thinking and feeling that they might go out into the world and obey in godliness. And in verse 8, so that they might not harden their hearts and resist the grace of God. There's so many other ways that we can do that too. So many ways that these stories get passed on to the next generation. Jared asked me to come here and to, to preach this particular text to you so that I could tell you about a new venture to serve Sovereign Grace Churches, our little denomination. Maybe a better way to say that is actually this is an attempt to follow in the footsteps of a 400-year-old Puritan venture and actually a much, much older Christian impulse to education. When our Puritan forebears, our fathers in the Christian faith, first arrived in the New World in 1620, obviously the first order of business for them was to find food and shelter. And I'm sure you know the story of how the Massachusetts Bay Colony suffered from cold and from hunger. And while many of them did not survive that first winter, Nevertheless, they testified that the Lord sustained them. And they began to build a village and to build a culture. They set out to establish a culture in what we now know as New England. A culture that would be marked by godliness and a reverence for God's word and a love for God's people. You would think that their first priority would be got to eat and we got to be safe. So fields and walls. And that was what they did. But what comes next? What comes after that? What's the next thing you do once you've established a sustainable means of living? What do you think, it, what do you think came next? Well, what came next was find a way to consistently, reliably tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And so... Harvard College was established to train men up for ministry in 1636, a mere 16 years after the first English settlers arrived in Massachusetts. That's how important this was to them. And I'm happy to tell you that Sovereign Grace, our little denomination, has followed in that 400-year-old tradition, that much longer, that millennia-old tradition, that Christian impulse to education. 
24 years ago, Sovereign Grace followed in those footsteps when C.J. Mahaney led Sovereign Grace to start a pastor's college. I attended the second class of the pastor's college with several guys in this room. And that experience shaped the rest of my life. That foundation has served me as I served as a pastor for 20 years. The last 10 of those bivocationally as a businessman in Louisville, and now more recently as the headmaster at a classical Christian school in Louisville. And I want my kids to receive the same kind of life-transforming teaching that I did as a young man. I want them to be equipped with biblical discernment, godly wisdom, and in particular, a vision of the Christian life that is so rich and so precious to us together in sovereign grace. And so this is the venture that Sovereign Grace has in front of us. Like we started a pastor's college, now we have the opportunity to start a Christian liberal arts college. A college founded with the express purpose of serving the families of Sovereign Grace and beyond. Founded with the goal of fusing the best of Sovereign Grace passion for gospel-centered everything with a classical Christian liberal arts curriculum. And so I'm happy to tell you that Trinity College of Louisville is coming. We have a website, trinitycollegeoflouisville.com. I didn't know it was show off your website day. I would have brought slides that you could have seen for yourself. You can check it out later. trinitycollegeoflouisville.com. Earlier this fall, we actually began offering a worldview class for both local and online high school students from around Sovereign Grace been wonderful. Our desire is to equip a new generation of faithful leaders in the church, in the home, and in the culture. Listen, parents, you know, the heart cry of every parent is that our children would come to know Christ. First and foremost, that they would know and love Jesus Christ. And then that they would be trained and discipled and equipped and sent forth in faithfulness to the Lord. And our prayer is that Trinity College will come alongside parents and assist them in that effort. We are aiming at a fall 2022 opening with a worldview year. The college will open with a hybrid approach this coming fall. A one-year worldview program that will also function as a freshman year for those who want to continue on to get a four-year Bachelor of Arts degree in liberal arts. We're gonna have this hybrid approach, both local and distance students. The advantage of the distance option is that students who wanna take just the worldview year as one standalone year will be able to benefit and receive this kind of training and education all while participating in and serving at their local Sovereign Grace Church. And so the college aims to serve students by forging in them Christian character and virtue. This godly character will pervade every area of their future lives equipping students for lifelong growth and Christian maturity, for building godly marriages and raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to pursue their vocation in the home or in the marketplace with an informed understanding of God's will for them, to possess the courage and conviction to resist cultural assimilation and theological liberalism, especially through deeply biblical views of race and ethnicity of manhood and womanhood, of sexuality, marriage, and parenting. 
And so I'm excited to tell you that there are five men from various parts of Sovereign Grace, including your very own Mark Prater, who have agreed to form a board. These men are pastors and educators. We're in the process of incorporation. We are recruiting teachers and getting the word out to Sovereign Grace parents and students. So please pray for us. Please pray that God would give us grace and help to be faithful and fruitful as we together proclaim the glorious deeds of the Lord to the coming generation. And when we tell the story of the gospel from our lives, from the lives of other Christians, we are shaping the next generation. I hope and pray that that happens in the college. I know that that's happening in this church and through your families. Parents, church, let's see these stories for what they are. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Telling these stories to the coming generation. It's not mere entertainment. It's not just a way to pass an hour at dinner or on a road trip. God has used and he will use your telling of this story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape the coming generation. May it fulfill our hopes and dreams and more. Let's pray and ask that, that God's will would be done. Father in heaven, we can ask many things and we imagine many things. But you are able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. And so Father, we pray that you would amaze us with the fruit and the fruitfulness of this coming generation. Prosper our efforts that your word might go forth into the next generation, into, into their children and into the children after that. Father, we pray, I pray, I pray for the fathers and mothers, the families in this church, that they would be faithful and fruitful as they proclaim the glorious deeds and the wonders of your might. And I pray for this church as they together tell the stories of your salvation that you would make them fruitful. And together we pray for Trinity College of Louisville. Give us fruit together as a denomination to walk in the footsteps of these faithful men and women who have gone before us, that we together might tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And may all of this resound to your glory. Through it all, may the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up on the earth. May he be exalted, loved, and cherished in our hearts in our churches, in our families, and in the world. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 